Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with recovery advocate and speaker, Rich Walters. Thanks for coming on the show, Rich. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely, man. Really glad to have you here. And I want to jump right in. I I know our listeners want to hear uh, a little bit about your background and your story. So tell us what was going on before you found your way into recovery. Like, What did your what did your life look like and how did you eventually get sober? Well, I try, you know, I don't have a typical broken home story. Mom and dad are still together today. You know, I oh, come awesome. from, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, turmoil and stuff like that, just emotional and verbal stuff in the house. But overall, it was pretty normal American home. I played sports all year round. You know, I had a lot of friends. I didn't have a, any problems fitting in or anything like that. And then, I just fell in love with drugs and booze, man. You know, mm. 13, 13 years old, I yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's no other way to put it. I fell in love with it. I didn't realize how bad I hated being sober until I was loaded, you know. And then I didn't ever want to be sober again. And so I did. I was, you know, for 21 years, I just, I just partied and partied and partied and partied. And for the first, I'd say, 10 years, it was a blast. You know, okay. it, was, it was. I mean, I, I, had a blast. I had a blast longer than 10 years. But the first 10 years, it was really very little consequences. You know, I went to college, graduated college, played college football, was a socialite, you know, social person, always at the clubs and stuff like that. I grew up, you know, in the clubs and in the bars and stuff. And that time period was a lot of fun. And then it just, it quickly just spiraled out of control. The last 11 years, man, just, just trashed me. Mm. I mean, trashed me, you know, what, and alcoholism is progressive. It started off with, with alcohol and and weed ultimately ended up with me shoving a syringe into myself, you know, injecting research chemicals, trying to, um, you know, basically find a, a way to forget how bad my life sucked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, this went on for a long time, ended up getting arrested, you know, several times for serious charges. Um, and then April 28th, 2014, the power of God stepped into my life and separated me from drugs and alcohol. And, and I just, you know, I hit the ground running and, in a, in a 12 step fellowship and never looked back. Um, I absolutely fell in love. Uh, you know, with recovery, man, um, just like it was one of them deals, dude, I had that type of spiritual uh, awakening, I had that type of spiritual experience, because I had never tried to get sober, I'd never, I wasn't one of these guys that, that you hear about that put together 30 days, or six months, or three months, bro, I stayed smashed, yeah, for two yeah same, days. same here, like when I hear <laughs> yeah. about people with like stretches, of no, a month, yeah, I, it's amazing <laughs> to me, yeah, yeah, dude, 
high stage smash through every trend too you know mm -hmm. through every single trend the co uh, powder cocaine crack cocaine pain pills suboxone methadone heroin meth ice research chemicals i just rolled right through yeah and going. uh yeah dude and uh i'm very blessed and fortunate that i actually lived um, through it because by all means I probably shouldn't be alive. I know I shouldn't be alive. Um, and you know, I just fell in love with the deal, man. And, and then here I am, you know, um, mm. it, it's wild and we'll get more into that, but for sure, I'll tell you what, it's been a fun, it's been a fun journey, man. What a cool thing that we get to be a part of. Yeah. I, I love hearing that, man. I love how you say like, you really look like a lot of people when they when they walk in when they come into recovery and maybe they go into a 12-step meeting or, or whatever you know group or fellowship they might be a part of it's like yeah i i think a lot of people put it pretty well like no one comes in on a winning streak right oh, like you're yeah. not necessarily like happy to be there but i think i'm kind of with you you know um I, I think it was like the the people and everyone has a different experience but the people and just seeing that there was some hope like I really did get into it right away. Like I really enjoy, I started to enjoy the meetings and all that stuff, you know, really all of it right away. You know, there's a learning curve to some degree, but I think one of the things I just want to say real quick is I really appreciate how you mention it and you're just honest about, man, we, we got high and we drank because we liked it, Love you know, it. and, and the big book of AA talks about that. Like we do that because we like it, you know, and um, I know that, the first time I heard people in meetings say that I was like, well, no, I'm, you know, but I'm supposed to hate it. And it's like, yeah, we, we're not fans of it now, but we're here because we loved it. The problem <laughs> is dude, is that I still love it with all my heart. Mm. The problem is, is that I love it more than anything else in my life. And it mm. once, and once I get wrapped up in it, you know, and I start to experience that mental obsession and that physical allergy, I can't stop no matter how great the necessity or wish, you know, choice is gone. And so that's the problem, dude, is that once I get started, there's no stopping. And okay. it doesn't matter how bad I want to stop, I won't be able to do it. And so just being that I was got stopped long enough when I went to treatment, dude, was like, like, seriously, just like, uh, you know, it was a divine intervention, dude. It was an act of providence because, dude, I could not stop. You know, yeah. I couldn't pump the brakes. I, I swear, I, I time and time again, I would like come out of a, you know, this is just, just typical verbiage, but I would come out of a spree, dude, you know, emerging remorseful swear to god i'm never going to do this again ever 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 i've destroyed i spent a fortune and i did so many stupid things the past couple of weeks and i've done got i've picked up four new felonies and and i'm never going to do this again ever in my life and then i'm doing it again immediately hmm. we talk about how the ego rebuilds itself so fast suddenly within a couple of hours i'm bugging out you know suddenly yeah. within a couple of hours i'm telling myself dude you're overreacting Right, right. Well, and I think you and I were talking about this the other day, right? It's like, yeah. sometimes one of the worst things, although we want to feel better, and we do feel better eventually, and that's that should be part of this. Sometimes one of the worst things is us starting to feel good right away, because then oh, exactly, we're like, it, it was a fluke, right? Like, this is just, you know, it was just a bad, bad run, some bad luck. So that's what happened, dude. Like, you know, I, I think I truly enjoy, even though there was like thousands of times that I said, I'm never doing this again. And then the ego re rebuilt itself and I'd be doing it again. Mm -hmm. I still loved doing it. I still loved getting loaded up until the last six months. And okay. then I'll never forget, mm -hmm. dude, that feel like I was just done. 
I was shot out, but I just kept going and just kept going and kept going, dude. And I had the hustle beat out of me. Like I was just like, this is just a nightmare just to be able to go get well. Like, this is just a, a, a like serious issue. Like I don't even have the hustle in me to do this anymore. I was like beaten into a state of uh, reasonableness, you know? And then mm. it was like, I didn't go down without a fight either, bro. You know, I went to treatment and I hated, I had a terrible attitude, uh, terrible dude. I was like, I probably would have been voted least likely to stay sober and treatment out of all my peers. Mm. I know I would have. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I experienced some serious humility in there, dude. And then while I was in there, I got indicted, which really, really, really helped me. Cause I was like, dude, if I don't stay sober, they're going to stretch me out in prison okay. like th- this time for sure. Because every other time I knew I had, I knew I could beat the charges. I knew that if I went after them, I could be this time they had me fried. And so I was like, dude, I've got to do whatever it takes. Plus I'm not even having fun anymore. And like, I have nothing left. Like at this point I'm 34 years old, dude. And I am shot out. Like I'm, mm. you know, $160,000 in debt. Like I am just in bad shape and I have nothing you know, nothing, hadn't seen my little girl in a few years. And I just had burnt every bridge in my life. And and so it was really the only option. And even though it was the only option, it seemed like it was still a coin flip, Mm -hmm. you know, like, ah, you know, it's like going, you know, to the gates of insanity or death or accept spiritual help. And we're still like, you know, let's flip a coin. Well, yeah, like this is, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about that because, uh, you know, I know, I know everyone's story is a little different and um, you, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you know, you got brought up going to church and stuff, but I, I just want to ask you because you're touching on, you know, the spiritual aspect of all this, you're touching on, you know, your, your relationship with the higher power. It's everything, bro. So is that something that was there before you, you got well, into, into using, I mean, Okay, so like you know, growing up, dude, I had like parents that would like instill prayers into me and God, God and stuff like that, and talk about you know like like how you know yes, Jesus loves me and all that. And I was Catholic, and so I'd go to church like basically on holidays, you know, not really like devoutly, but I remember as a kid saying like yeah, you know, like Jesus prayers and stuff like that, bro. And then I'd go to sleep like peaceful and feel clean as a little kid, you know, doing that stuff. And so, like, I had always believed in God because I, I suppose I was afraid to say that I didn't. Um, that's all right. I, I suppose I was afraid to say that I didn't believe in God. So when I came into recovery, dude, I never had a real connection with God. I never had a real con- relationship or anything like that. But I was in a position, bro, where I wasn't in the I – wa- I didn't have the liberty to be able to argue whether or not there was or there wasn't bro i was done dude like i had fried myself i had failed completely as a father as a son as a friend as a brother as a businessman as an alcoholic and as a drug addict completely and this was the last stop on the block this was the last house and so i didn't have a choice dude was like we're going to do some praying okay whatever you say i'm like i'm willing like let's just do it you know whatever i gotta do i'm gonna do and i'm gonna hate doing it and a lot of the suggestions i didn't do but you know because i was rebellious by nature but uh and I came back to those things, you know, bit me in the butt later on. And so I had to make changes and adjustments, uh, you know, from there moving forward. But yeah, I always had that fundamental of idea, uh, fundamental idea of what God was, you know, and I had like moral conviction. I knew right from wrong, so on and so forth. But dude, I've never been connected like I've been connected since I got Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And, and man, you really just told my story, like same thing, raised Catholic, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I went through the whole like confirmation thing and all that, you know, did all that stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't say that I had any type of relationship with a, a higher power. And uh, of course, the thing that really struck me coming into a 12 step program was this idea that like, hey, it doesn't have to be your your parents, God. Like, this is your this is your own relationship. So, that was the coolest thing in the world, too. Yeah, so I, I want to ask you, man, because you talk to a lot of people. So, um, you know, if, if someone's listening to this right now and they're, and they're still kind of new to this deal and they're like, okay, look, I'm kind of like where you and I both were. Like, I'm willing to give the, the spiritual aspect of this sh- uh, a shot, but I'm really struggling with it were there any suggestions that maybe you got as a newcomer or that now you give to newcomers to kind of help them, you know, get connected and and start working on this relationship? Yeah, there's several. I mean, so, so the big book tells us that we don't even have to believe. We just have to be willing to believe, you know, and what, and, and so we just need that shred of willingness. Right. And so you could just basically tell them, you know, you don't have to believe right now, but are you willing to believe because I believe, or, or, or how about this? Are you willing to believe that this group right here? And some people look against that because they say no human power, but, but, but if you look at the group and several people have done it, including our predecessors, um, in the beginning, um, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, to talk about this in the 12 and 12, um, you know, using the group in the beginning to help get you started, right? Sure, yeah. Using the group as your higher power, whatever the case may be, dude, stick around. Like at this point in 2020, we're just trying to keep you alive long enough to where you can find true freedom. I don't care what it is you believe in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Let's start somewhere, man. Cause you got to hang on. Cause I'm going to tell you now, if you just throw a wall up and you're just against it automatically, Automatically, you're going to have some trouble. And I'm going to tell you right now, people aren't relapsing these days and going over to the nearest bar room. They're going over to the nearest trap house and trying some, some controlled fentanyl use usage in their diet. Mm. You know, so, so we got, yeah, we got to do whatever we can to keep them on the hook, man. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I I think kind of what you're saying is, is where I was. And it sounds like it's where you were in the beginning. It's I'm in so much pain right now. Like, just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to question it at, at this point. And, and I will just say, you know, all this we're talking about here, it's important to note that like, no, no one is trying to force anyone to believe in, you know, the way I believe or you believe or anything like that. It's like, man, believe in something bigger than yourself. I think that's kind of the, the main suggestion. So Bur- I, I yeah. do want to ask you, um, you, cause you're also, the director of uh, outreach for a treatment center in Florida. So how did you decide to get involved uh, in the treatment treatment industry? And um, what, what, what is all that about? Well, you know, about, I don't know, it was three years ago now, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was already speaking all over the state of West Virginia and, 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 and a lot all over Ohio. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so I was kind of, I guess, you know, my name was getting out there and so on and so forth. And I didn't even really mean for it to be, um, you know, I was just being asked to speak all these different places by various people and people would hear me speak and be like, dude, I got to have you come and speak here. I have you speak at this anniversary. Can you do this workshop? Will you be able to come to this convention and so on and so forth? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then at the same time, like all these like big major like recovery events and stuff like that started taking place because people kind of just blew their anonymity. It was, it was like right at the time when like heroin and fentanyl was like killing everybody. Right. So every 
everybody just took the veil off and just compromised their anonymity and 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 went out there and went out and and started you know and and that's what I kind of want to say here is that like you know I'm not a I'm not um, a representative and I don't like you know I don't want to attach myself to any twelve step fellowship in particular or anything like that because I I don't represent any any fellowship or so on and so forth I'm essentially just a person in recovery or a child of God or whatever you want to call it but then I just started going out there man and I started carrying this message dude everywhere that I went and it just kind of snowballed and snowballed and snowballed and um and then all of a sudden like I just got a call one day from a treatment center dude and they're like hey we would love for you to be an ambassador for our treatment center. And I was like, wow, what is that? I didn't know yeah. It was a job. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know it was a job. And it's like three years ago, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I was making like crumbs, dude, but it was still like the coolest thing in the world because I was essentially, you know, being, I had a job getting to do what I love to do mm. already, you know, and, yeah, and so, cool. And I ended up having to learn, you know, the hard way that, that some people that not everybody in this industry is, is, has a heart in the same place that I do. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you about that, man. I mean, that's kind of where, where I wanted us to, to go here for a second is there's been a lot of changes made in the industry lately because of a lot of, you know, shady stuff going on. Right. And yeah what uh changes if any do you think should be made like what should we be doing differently to make sure that you know that this is uh an honest industry that people are being treated right not taken advantage of um but also that we're doing a more effective job of of getting people sober and helping them to stay sober what what differences if uh, or changes if any do you think should be made I think that they've already cracked down so much, you okay. know, and I think that at some point in time, it, it you know, they, they put up so much red tape, it becomes hard for people to operate and then it prevents people from not being able to receive the help that they get. Mm. Listen, if you're one of these guys, if you're one of these pieces of garbage that have paid someone money or drugs to go to treatment, you need your head knocked off. Mm. You know, it's just that simple. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude. like if you're one of these idiots that do that like if that's where you're at with your with your job and your hustle then then we don't need you in this industry period and and it was like that kind of stuff that shocked me when i first started doing it when i started to hear these stories you know and i'm like this is wild like it wasn't at all what i expected and i ended up you know uh, meeting and being around some people who ended up, you know, uh, getting in trouble for stuff that was like, you know, just, just weird shady stuff, um, that, that, that they do with, you know, a treatment center owner never tells you what they're doing in the shadows. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, and so you don't find that out until he ends up getting arrested for something that in regards to a lab or, or something like that, you know, you don't know that kind of stuff because the treatment center is not a dump it's a nice place. It's right. a super nice place, but you don't know what the owner's doing on the back end when it comes to his greedy agenda, you know? Right. And so that was just the strangest thing for me, dude, like to, to realize that there were actually people that were putting greed and money above um, everything out here and that their primary purpose wasn't just to see somebody getting help, but to make a fortune, absolute fortune. And so that was, that was tough, dude. That was tough to see. And then you go through the go throughs and you learn, you know, you learn about this kind of stuff and you just, you know, you just end up meeting the right people, man. You follow the, the proper guidance and you just can, 
continue to do the right thing, man. And there's, it's like, it's a great job. It's a great thing. Yeah. You know, for good people, especially people who've lived with lived experience to work in this industry, dude, it's needed. It's vital. And if it ever is, you know, and, and, and there's, there's going to, there's a certain time when, when these idiots that have done all this bad stuff are going to prevent good people from being able to help really sick people and that sucks dude that's a problem mm. um but but you know right now man i just do my thing dude and uh just help as many people as possible and just always tell people like anybody new that's getting into this man don't allow this don't allow any the, the like the love for money or or the love for anything else to, to blind you man always keep god first and everything else will just work its work itself out, you know, in this whole deal, because there's a lot of good places, dude. I mean, there's a lot of excellent, just phenomenal uh, places, you know, for people to go to treatment, dude. I'm not sitting here knocking the treatment center industry by any means. I absolutely love it. Sure. Lo love it. And as a matter of fact, treatment saved my life. It's not what keeps me sober today, but it was the beginning of my journey. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that it's a, it's needed. And, and people are needed out there to represent treatment centers. There, you need ambassadors out there. You need these people out here. You need this stuff like that because, dude, there are 23 million people suffering from substance use disorder. And last year, only 2.2 million of those people made it to treatment. That's less than 10%. That's a problem, dude. That's a problem. So we need more people out here that are like, hey, 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 let us help you. Let us guide and direct you, you know, help get you off the streets. Because the fact of the matter is everyone's like, they all know where to go. They all, that's, that's not the truth, dude. Wow. People still don't know where to go. People's families still don't know what to do. They're still reaching out because they don't know. The, you know, they, and everyone, the misconception is that everyone knows what they need to do these days. It's not a, it's not a secret anymore. You don't have to bring any more awareness. That's bull crap, dude. Hmm. That's bull crap. People need to be out here, uh, you know, representing recovery, representing transformation, representing growth, dude. And there shouldn't be any anyone shedding a negative light on anybody doing that and doing it the right way. It's wrong. I'm so sick of everybody getting thrown under the same umbrella when there's so many good people in this industry. I'm so sick of hearing it, you know? Yeah. It's yeah, there are. It's disgusting, dude. There's so many good people. Like, you only need a few bad people, just a couple. It's true. You know, and then there's millions of good people that go unnoticed because of the story of one idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's just a joke, dude. So I'm all for treatment. I'm all for the people who work at treatment. And I'm all for transformation, recovery, and this beautiful lifestyle change, dude. And I'll never stop shouting from the rooftops. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, number one, I went through a treatment center. Super grateful. Saved my life as well. Um, you know, definitely I, I needed that just where I was. And that's an incredible statistic you just shared. I guess that's something that, that I didn't know. And I hadn't really thought about it's that there are so many people out there and th the main issue isn't these few bad people out there running crappy, uh, places or doing shady stuff. It's that most people aren't making it, um, into treatment. So I guess if anything, maybe you're saying that that the the change that you would make is making treatment more available to more people. Yeah, dude. I mean, people aren't. They're, they're, you look at that. Look at the numbers are staggering. Mm. Less than ten percent of the people suffering from substance use disorder are, are found treatment, 
in 2019 when it, when it would seem like at least 25% of those people should, should be able to find yeah. treatment or stuff, you know, so on and so forth. The fact of the matter is the majority of people who reach out to us or, and a lot of other people are saying, we just don't know where to look. We wow. don't know. Who, yeah. And, and, and so the biggest misconception is they do know where to look. They do know what's mm -hmm. going on. They're well aware. That's not the truth. Yeah. You know, they, they just don't know, dude. And so people are dying um in uh in ignorance of of not 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 being ignorant but being ignorant of, of where to look mm. you know for help and it's sad and it sucks so yeah dude i'm not going to buy into you know one bad apple doesn't just ruin the whole bunch that's not the deal dude there are so many good people that work in treatment at um, addicts and non-addicts dude but the fact of the matter is the, the the hardest working best individuals that are in that 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 I've seen in treatment are people who were once addicts and who bust their butt because they love to give back they truly have a passion for helping other people and and and, and this is their life the weirdest part is that most people think that that people that work in treatment this is one of was one of the weirdest things shouldn't be compensated shouldn't be paid it's like it should be yeah. some sort of free service to help right right dude, that's, I, that's yeah garbage, it's, it, dude. how do you yeah it's an interesting deal. And look, I see both sides of it. Like sometimes treatment can be, you know, super expensive. You know, luckily now I think that uh, it's all uh, insurance policies cover treatment to some degree, which is great. But yeah, I mean, it's a job. These people are, are working their butts off. I mean, you know, a lot of them. I know a lot of them. I got sober with a lot of them. And I know, I know these people personally, and, and they really are, man. They're, they're giving so much back and um it, but it is a job too like these people that work in the industry they need to be able to make a living they need to be able to to take care of their families and and i think that that does kind of get looked down upon sometimes and it's um you know that's not the way that that the world works you know and it's and it's not fair to think that you know these people should work you know i know guys that especially when they just go into the field um, you know, they're working in detoxes and these guys are working like 18 hour shifts and stuff. And you're telling Dude, me it's not uncommon to go 80, 90 hours a week. Yeah. So you're telling me that, that these people shouldn't be properly compensated for that. Yeah. It's just not, not fair. I, I do want to ask you, you mentioned the families and, and the families do get, you, you know, I'm thinking about my family and, and, you know, all I put them through. And even when they started to understand some things, they were still in the dark about a lot of things. And you mentioned your speaking engagements, and I know you do a lot of them. So uh, I'm assuming that families are one of the groups, but what, what groups of people are you speaking to? Like, who are you generally speaking to? And, and what is the message that, that you're sharing most of the time? I'll, I'll ask you this uh, specifically for the groups of people that are that are not addicts themselves. What is the message that you're trying to carry to them? Well, number one is that I, so, so obviously I speak to a large demographic of people, you okay. know, lots okay. of addicts and non addicts for the ones who are non addicts. Mm -hmm. I try to give them an understanding of what this looks like, uh, kind of from an illness model, from a disease model. And also I want to give them, uh, you know, uh, reasons, because a lot of the times they blame themselves. The families are blaming themselves for, for what's happened. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is that it's not their fault. 
Um, and so I want to let them know what this looks like and how some people are just predisposed to this thing uh, from the first time that they ever pick up. And why is it that they pick up? And, and so I share my own experience and what that looked like when I was 13 years old. And, and so they're saying, why would he ever start doing this? You know, why would he ever start? We, had, we raised him right. I was raised right. right. I went to college. I graduated from school. Yeah. The fact of the matter is the first time I ever picked up was at the beginning of junior high in seventh grade. And I was with a bunch of guys who were sitting around smoking weed and drinking. And, and, and I did not, and, and I was so fearful of what other people think about me because mm -hmm. that's obviously an impressionable time in our life, starting junior high, you know, starting middle school, you gotta be cool. You know, this right. is like the first couple of weeks, right? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, God forbid, if they label me a square or a loser now, mm -hmm. these next three years are gonna suck, Yep. you yep. know? And so the first time I ever picked up, it was out of fear of what they think about me if I did. And I didn't arrive in that moment. I had, I didn't like, I had arrived. I didn't feel it like that because I knew that I, I felt guilty, shameful and remorseful because I had to go home and see mom. And, and I grew up in the eighties during the just say no campaign. And so yeah. I felt guilty, dude. I was like, gosh, dude, I've been hearing this just say no deal forever. Mm -hmm, and I feel mm -hmm. like a guilty piece of garbage. And, but it didn't take me long to find my friend's parents who weren't like my parents. And they're like, just come on over on Friday and you guys can stay blitzed till Sunday. Okay. And when I knew I wasn't going to get caught by my mom and dad, then I had arrived. And it was mm. shortly after that. And I just had fell in love with it. And, you know, you just don't know. And it was like one of them deals, dude, where just, you know, I fell in love with it. And then at some point in time, you cross the point of no return. Yeah. You know, some people just go on about their lives and that's okay. I wasn't one that could do that, bro. Like I just yeah. kept charging forward. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just stick to families here for a second. So, you know, when you're speaking to a, a group that's mainly, you know, made up of families and they're listening, I, I'm sure you speak to a lot of them, you know, after one of these, uh, you know, engagements. So, is there like, what are some of the things that like, especially, you know, maybe while you're telling your story, what are some of the things that maybe they're surprised to hear or, or that they learn or that they ask you about afterwards? Um, well, number one, they, they really don't understand that powerlessness deal. Like yeah. when they, when they hear that you're doing it against your own will hmm. and they're like, that's crazy to them, you know, cause they're thinking, why doesn't he just stop? Why won't he just stop? Gosh, doesn't he understand that we love him, that his daughter loves him, that his wife needs him? Why can't he stop? And I'm like, listen, he, it, it, the deal is this, and this isn't how everyone operates, but this is how guys of my type operate, is that there's a certain point where we cross the point of no return, and that power of choice, whether or not we're going to pick up or not, is not there. We can't stop. We are acting against our own will and the strongest willpower in the world won't get us to stop. And so they're like, that just, it just blows their mind, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then how, like, and then how, like, he just acts like he doesn't even care that he's hurting us or she just acts like he just doesn't even care. Why would he steal this? And why would he do that? And I'm just thinking to myself, listen, they're so caught up in the steal that they're just blinded by themselves you know that they're, they're so selfish and self-centered because this deal they're they're suffering from something so bad in here and in here that they have to pick up number one to treat the physical sickness and number two to shut this thing off as to where they've been and i said unless you live that you won't understand what i'm talking about it's a nightmare it's not that they want to hurt you they don't want to hurt you 
believe me, that's my experience. I didn't want to hurt mom and dad. Right. I yeah. didn't want to hurt my family, dude. And I would feel like a piece of crap after I did something stupid and I hurt them. I would feel yeah. so low and I just couldn't stop. And I didn't understand like, why can't I, you know, am yeah. I just bad? Yeah. I, I get it. 100%, you know, and that guilt and that shame, that kind of, you know, as much as we don't want to do it, it helps fuel the the fire of that addiction, right? And we just yeah, you know, we keep doing it. So I also want to ask you, I, I know you also speak, speak to uh, law enforcement occasionally. So what are some of the things that you think that, that they learn? Or maybe they get a new kind of viewpoint of, of this. You know, I, I'd like to think that law enforcement is getting a, a little more of a uh, human, like, face to to addiction you know i mean we hear about uh you know with this opiate epidemic you know first responders like police officers and also judges and all these you know people overdosing and so they know it's it's going on it's a real thing it's it's affecting people just like them what are some of the things that you think that that they learned or maybe they're surprised to hear when you speak to uh, law enforcement well um i think you know the biggest part is them learning that, that a lot of their own suffer yeah. from this deal. You know, they're like, what the heck is going on? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest issue is that the, the typical, the stereotypical um, image for a drug addict or an alcoholic throughout time was this homeless bum on the corner, you know? Um, and that's just not the truth, dude. And it hasn't been the truth for a long time. And a lot of people are suffering in silence because of the stigma. And these are people that have professions, you know, people that are in professional positions and so on and so forth. And there are a lot of them. Hmm. My God, dude, if I could tell you some of the people in this area that's reached out to me uh, over the past, you know, almost six years it would shock you. I mean, it would shock anybody else. That's something that I keep to myself to protect those people because I know what it's like. Um, but yeah, dude, the, 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 the hardest part for them to understand is that, listen, this could be, I think what shocks them the most, and, and they're already past that, is that this could be any of us. This could happen to any of us, including our own, including their own. Uh, and it does happen all the time. Um, you know, another thing is that it's, it's strange, dude, because this war on drugs is a failed war. Okay. It's been a failed war. It's never worked. It's never, we've tried to arrest our way out of this deal for a long time now, and it's never worked. Right. So now they're going towards a new approach, which is alternative sentencing within the system. And that they're, they're, tr they're tired of throwing drug offenders in prison. It's not treating what's going on with them. Prison and jail doesn't treat the underlying issues of drug addiction and alcoholism. And it just keeps perpetuating in the sit and it just the same people keep ending up back in this cycle over and over and over. And now to the point where it's becoming so expensive for taxpayers, they're diverting everybody to alternative sentencing, which is why there's been an influx in treatment centers, which which is why there's been so many treatment centers opening up and so many beds popping up is because what they don't understand is this is the side effect of the system saying we can no longer put these people in prison or jail because it's not working so we need to put them in treatment well if you need to put them in treatment then you need more treatment beds and this is really the reason why treatment beds are popping up all over the country is because we need them dude you know you need to try to get people treated for what's going on with them um, and, and try to get it, you know, uh, fixed so it doesn't repeat itself constantly over and over and over and over. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's just been, 
that's been one of the deals around here now for a while. People were complaining about housing drug addicts. They were complaining about being, you know, it's, it's a complaint in every, every angle you look. If you look, there's some people that are, ah, treatment centers, they're, they're terrible, there's that and other. Okay, cool. Okay, well, the, 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 the drug addicts, they're terrible, they're this, that and other. Well, okay, cool. Well, the, we don't want them in the jails. They're overflow. Okay, well, well, we don't want them in our backyard. Ah, okay, well, it's everywhere you look, someone's yeah. got something else to complain about. When do we turn our blinders on and say, you know what, I'm not listening to this anymore. Let's stay focused on the problem or let's, mm-hmm. stay, let's focus on the solution that we can fix this problem and let's just try to stay focused on God so I can stay calm and peaceful throughout this whole thing um and it's like dude you're never going to get the praises from from joe joe you know joe q or john q public you, you're just not dude and, and so they're they're pissed all the way around there's nothing you can do about it you got to deal with it it's 2020 dude they're everywhere yeah. there are people who are suffering everywhere i'm talking everywhere dude i coached little league baseball last year the 10U team. And I'm telling you the shock, one of the most shocking things I saw was the amount of parents who were noticeably on meth. And these aren't uh-huh. like, these aren't like street walkers, dude. These are normal, like, like hardworking blue collar people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Times have changed, man. That that's for sure. But uh, Drastic. You know, hopefully, hopefully we're moving uh, in the right direction. And, and this is one of those deals where I think it's just, un, you know, it kind of sucks, but, we have to learn as we go. Yeah, you know, we're, dude, just, we're learning on the fly because it's like yeah. the deal that we're in right now. It's like the pandemic that we're in right now. Nobody's ever dealt with this. Nobody has experience in treating something this bad. Yeah. Right. And so this is what's happened with this whole, um, you know, uh, addiction epidemic that's taken place over the past 10 years. Nobody's ever dealt with something like this. They don't have experience to share with us mm. on this scale so we are literally just learning on the fly. Yeah. And the problem is there's so many finger pointers along the way because people are failing on the fly because they've never tried it before. And that's yeah. okay. You stop beating them down. At least they're trying. Some people are just mouthpieces on social media, whether it be about treatment centers, whether it be about drug addicts or whatever. They just yap, 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 yap all day long. They do nothing to help anybody. They do nothing to help the problem. All they do is yap and take exception with people and take shots at people. Those are the people I don't want in my life. Yeah, I want the solution-based people who are like, okay, so this isn't working. Let's try to fix this. Sure. Let's try to do this. Let's try to help somebody today. Dude, I'm over this whole taking shots at people all over. So, you know, it's such a joke, dude. And anybody yeah. who lives, in that, lives like that on a daily basis has to be the most miserable human being ever. Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. But I, I really, I like what you're saying. I mean, let, let's keep it in the solution. And I think that, that like you were just touching on, luckily the the system, if you will, is moving towards this deal where we're trying to get people help as opposed to what you said, arresting our way out of the problem. And we've seen other countries around the world that have tried, you know, different things. It might be working for them, like decriminalization and getting people into treatment. And I think an important thing is that we I think we need to look at more. It's like, okay, we get these people better. Now what are they going to do? Meaning like more jobs and things like that. And I think we're starting to do stuff like that. But what works in other places may not work here. But I think at least we're starting to move in the right direction. I think we're starting to have uh, a more two-sided conversation uh, about things. And and you're right. Unfortunately, there's just there's always going to be 
complainers and there's going to be complainers that, that aren't really, they're just complaining and they're not doing uh, anything one way or the other. Um, I do want to ask, you know, speaking of, you touched on social media a little bit there, you have a huge following on social media. You, you and I were speaking the other day about how many people reach out to you the other day. And, and you gave me a pretty big number and you said you have to, you know, you've got people helping you out with that. Honestly, I, I wasn't that surprised. Like that, I get that, you know, that you would have a ton of people reaching out. I'm guessing that, you know, you've got people reaching out to you saying, thanks for what you do. I'm guessing you've got people that, that reach out and, and like maybe you were saying, hopefully there's not too many, but don't like what you do. And I'm <laughs> sure that most of the people that reach out to you though, are having a tough time. So what, what, what are the people that are struggling? What are they saying? Like, what, what do you, what is it that they're struggling with? Dude, I've kind of sit here and tell you, it's like the biggest pendulum. It's all the way from, uh, from a mother walking in and finding both of her adult boys overdosed on the floor and freaking out. They've been overdosed for about a little while now. And so they're both starting to turn blue. She freaks out because she finds them and she runs to the area where they kept the Narcan and she finds one unit. And, and, and they lived in an area where the, 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 the squad wasn't going to be able to get there quick enough. She had to make a decision which boy she was going to administer with the, with the Narcan. And she did, and another one died. That's, that's, a, that's one of the, you know, that all the way to a nine-year-old girl, as a matter of fact, in Houston, Texas, mm. uh, started doing heroin and meth and started pimping herself out at 10, 10 years old. Jeez. All the way from that to mom's a school teacher and she's taken too many pain pills or she's taken too many Xanaxes and, um, you know, the husband's getting ready to leave. Yeah. Um, or, you know, it, it's like a lot of first responders reach out and thank me, you know, because they see this deal, you know, and they're like, thank you so much for being a voice. It's haunting what we have to live through on a daily basis. And because they're not just seeing it from like the lifeless standpoint of the addict who overdosed, they're seeing the three or four or five-year-old kid standing eight feet away, crying their eyes out, saying, mommy, wake up. You know, and so there's nothing, dude. People just act like this whole deal is, and this is what we do seven days a week. We counsel people and do as much as we possibly can to help, and uh, we help them right where they are and help them, you know, get the help that they need, regardless, dude. Um, we have endless resources that we're able to guide and direct people to, and and that's what we do, man. You know, and it's it's so full, it's fulfilling. Um, but daggone, dude, it's, it's, it's grueling sometimes when you hear something. There's very few things that really rock me because after a while you become almost desensitized. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I mean to be. It's just like one of them deals where it's a coping mechanism uh, the human being will go through to protect themselves from going insane. I get it. You know, it'll just shut up, shut, I have to shut down. Yeah. Um, and they can't invest too much emotionally into all these different stories. And then they're in this, but there are some dude that will just come along and I'll call and speak to them and it will smash you. bro. 
And it will just be like, oh my God. So they, these people that are reaching out here, uh, that maybe they're newcomers. I, I mean, what are some of the the mistakes that that you think they're maybe making early in recovery? What and and maybe I think you touched on. Look, we're not going to do this thing perfectly. Every, every I think we we can all agree upon cool. that, right? Yeah. And and you said there were some suggestions that that you didn't take yourself. What are some mistakes maybe that you see people making or? You know, someone reaches out, they're like, I'm struggling. You talk to them for a second and you're like, man, that's, you might want to take a look at that. What are some of those things? Bro, it's the typical gym story. And, okay. and, and the big book, it's the typical gym story. All went well for a while, right? Mm. This is what happens. This is the revolving door in these halfway houses and all this other stuff. Yeah. All went well for a while, right? He got his, he, he, he got, he got, he put some weight back on, right? Okay. He got yeah. a sleeved out tattoo, right? Yeah, he got the yeah. skin fade with the hard part, bro. He, <laughs> he got some sick, like, uh, some, he, he got Dude. some, he got some Yeezy. Oh, right? damn. He's got the Yeezy. Yeah, yeah he's okay. flexing, bro. He's flexing yeah. on Facebook, right? All went well for a while, right? Right. The wife let him start seeing the kids again. Right. Wow. Mm. All went well for a while, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. Yeah. And he went back out, except this time he's not going to go back out and stay on a bar stool for five to 10 years of misery. This time he's going to go out maybe five to 10 hours, five to 10 days, five to 10 weeks, five to 10 months. And he's going to shoot a hot shot of dope and he's going to die. Mm. That's what happens. They're not taking it serious. Drugs and alcohol aren't the problem. Selfish and self-centeredness is the problem. How do we combat that? By being selfless and self-sacrificing. Go help somebody. Get outside of yourself. You know, just because you made a post on social media doesn't mean anything. Who are you helping face-to-face? What are you doing for your fellow man? What are you actually doing? Yeah. You know, and it's like, and that's when the rubber hits the road. And then we start to work on these defects of character that, that are killing people. What I'm saying is that nothing changes in this person's life other than the fact that they removed the heroin out of it, right? That's a dangerous place to be. This is constantly working on the inside of me and trying to be as selfless as I possibly can. This is me trying to be less fearful. This is me trying to be less angry. This is me practicing honesty to the point where it's, it, it, it hurts to be that honest, right? Mm. This is all kinds of different things, you know? And so, you know, it's just throw yourself all in. Whatever recovery program it is that you pick, make yourself at home and stick around. I I say this all the time. I don't know about how anybody else partied, but, dude, when I was on the streets, I was all in. I was like not one foot in the streets and one foot in the rooms, right? Mm -hmm. Because I never even knew what the rooms was, first of all. But I was all in. So when I come here, dude, I got to be all in. I can't half step. I can't be a fence rider. I have to be all in. How much of freedom do you want to know? Hmm. You know, how much of God do you want to know? And that all comes down to on the personal responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, man. That's, that's great advice, man. I, I think we're going to uh, wrap it right there. So you can, uh, Link up with Rich by liking and following the Rich Walters Facebook page. Thanks again for coming on with me today, Rich. Thanks so much for having me, man. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, 
You can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. 